The world of ministry to teenagers can offer a full range of emotion, interesting challenges, rewarding victories, and discouraging difficulty. It is important to remember that the work we do with students is vital. It is good to be reminded that what you do matters and is appreciated. We hope that the time you spend here will encourage you and equip you to hit the mark in life and ministry. Welcome to the Scopehost Podcast, impacting youth ministry in Oklahoma and beyond. Hello and welcome to the Scopehost Podcast. This is Todd Sanders with the Baptist Journal Convention of Oklahoma, and I am in studio with Andy Harrison, also with the Baptist Journal Convention of Oklahoma and former cosmonaut and spent a year on the space station. Did you? Seriously? No, I really am making that up. I did oh, not okay. do that, and I did not go to space for the USSR. So <laughs> I want you to know that I just only work at the BGC. <laughs> only work. Well, that's slightly um, more um, comforting. Okay, well. Then the fact that you were a former... But it does still have four letters. BGCO, USSR. USSR. Make your own, draw your own conclusions there. All right. Okay. And also in studio with... Scott Kendig. And um, I thought that I met Andy on the space station, but since you said that didn't really happen... Comrades. There's somebody that looks just like you that speaks with an accent. But uh, I am from San Antonio, and... At Community Bible Church. And what do you do at Community Bible Church? What role do you play? Okay, so um, we had to create the most confusing title in the history of the world. So (laughs) I am the chief of staff there, which means nobody exactly knows what I do, so I can do really whatever I feel like. But um, no, the truth is I I lead the staff, develop teams, uh, help us roll out initiatives, making disciples, and helping people um, use their life as a mission reality all the time. Awesome. Very good. So um, today we're just going to jump in and talk about a number of different topics. Um, And the first one we're going to address is this idea of transitions. So um, uh, Scott, tell us a little bit about, you've served in a number of different roles. Um, First of all, uh, tell us about your family and then kind of how the Lord has used you in ministry throughout the years in different aspects. Sure. Um, So I've been married to Kim for 30 years and we have four kids, 27 uh, 24, 23, and 18. Our last one just graduated from high school and uh, is going off to college. So we're entering the free bird phase of life and able to go do more things than, uh, than you know, just as far as rolling with kids. Now we have a reason to be able to go and do mission all over the world if we want to and go have fun everywhere. So that's kind of where we are in this season of life. Just sold our house and and going to finish the transition, moving to San Antonio. So that's been that sort of thing. But that does you know tie into what you asked about with transition. So uh, I was a student pastor for 13 years after God called me into ministry in the same church, just one church, all 13 years. And um, and after that, the Georgia Baptist Convention asked me to come and do something like what uh, you and, and Andy do here at um, BGCO. And so I did that for the state of Georgia, and we ran camps, and we created a student ministry network and uh, tried to help student pastors disciple other stupid stu- student pastors, not stupid pastors, but student pastors. <laughs> Those need help, too. We need that yeah, too. that's right. They yeah. really need disciples. It's a different ministry. I know. I needed it. I so, so we did that for uh, nine years, and then uh, went to Brook Hills for 10 months. Now that was hard for me because um, I'm a loyal guy. I don't go anywhere for 10 months, but the economy decided my house was not gonna sell. And um, we had to figure out a contingency plan where I could go back home to Atlanta uh, and help 
you know, make things make more sense for my family. And, and when we did that, I, I got a call the really just close to the day that I figured out, okay, so my house is not ever going to sell. So Lord, what do you want to do? And so I got a call very shortly after that from a pastor that said, Hey, Scott, we rode by your house and uh, for sale sign is still there. And so if something happens and you're not going to stay in Birmingham, we want to talk to you about being the executive pastor at our church and helping us plant churches. And um, they didn't know the timing of that was just really heavenly in my, in my world. And so for five and a half years, uh, I was for the first time, not directly involved in Next Generation Ministries, but everybody that attended the two campuses that they had at that time, um, 50% of everybody was 22 and down. So I really was still a youth pastor. And that was a lot of fun for me. And, um, you know, over the course of the next few years, we planted some churches and saw God do some really cool things and went from two to seven campuses and um, and and really saw some traction there through disciple-making and mission. Uh, then... Uh, recently, uh, Ed Newton became the pastor at Community Bible Church following the founder of the church and asked me to come and be this chief of staff role person, building teams and, and doing that sort of thing. But um, the the reason I think this is an important issue, and, and Andy, you can probably speak into this, is that churches and pastors don't do transition well, typically. And uh, I, one of the things that I really want to press into um, – pastors, ministers, people who work for church, is if anybody can do transition well, they need to look in the church to figure out how to do it. And we just don't. We seem to fumble the ball all the time. And a lot of times it's over emotional uh, heat that doesn't um, help when you feel like there's 10 things that were wrong and on the way out the door, somehow you have to air all your dirty laundry. Now, that happens in Georgia where my heritage has, but does that still happen here in Arkansas? Well, Arkansas, listen to me. You've got That's a Razorback shirt because I got my Razorback shirt on, on today. Um, yeah. Repping for my poor, decrepit team. Um, the uh, Well, you know, yeah, it, it happens here too. And I kind of want to talk about the components of things because, you know, it's easy to know when to transition when the pastor comes and says, by the way, you need to look for somewhere else. Oh, it's time to transition. <laughs> oh, the Lord's uh, moving. <laughs> yeah, I feel the Lord is asking me to go elsewhere. Um, and the Lord has a name, and he's my pastor. Uh, so I, I need to I need to go somewhere. That's easy. But how how do you sense and know when it's time to transition, not only maybe from one church to another, but maybe out of student ministry into a different role? And so what are some of the components of, of noticing that transition? And then after we talk about that, I kind of want to talk about, well, then what's the right way to do that? Yeah, yeah. So um, it's it's really difficult for me because as a loyal, I assume I'm always supposed to be where I am until I die. And and I think that's the way we should take on every assignment that we have. And um, when God calls us somewhere until he calls us somewhere different, I think that we should we should stick with that. But I do think every time that I have shifted from one position to another, there's been a lead time where the Lord just starts to stir something in me that feels like maybe he's releasing me. Um, and, and one time, you know, just purposely, I felt like he's saying, hey, get ready. And, um, and I was like, well, get ready for what? And, and so for me, the biggest transition was uh, I had spent the first uh, 23 years of my ministry in Next Generation Ministry. And I really was hesitant about becoming an executive pastor. And I, to me, I, I thought I knew what that looked like. And in the church that I went to, they said, no, actually it is people building, team building, 
um, helping people succeed wherever they are. It's the same thing you've been doing for students. It's just you'll be doing it for everybody here. And so for me, that was the biggest transition. So there was a stirring that I didn't know what was coming, but I had a sense. And, and I told a friend of mine about a year before I transitioned to San Antonio, I feel like God is somehow telling me that there's about to be a change. And I don't know what it is, so I'm still here till I die right now, and I'm fully vested where I am. But I, I think God has to prepare me. I'm sure different people have different things. As you guys transition, what happened for you? How did that take place? Well, I, I, I feel like um, it was some of the ways you read the, the, the whole reading of the Holy Spirit in your life. You know, you, you have a sense that maybe— um, is it time for me to leave this position? Then other people, are, you ask godly people, and they say, I really feel like there's a possibility that God's got you know something else in store for you. And when I mean that, I'm not talking about people who come to say, yeah, you you probably ought to move on. Yeah. But really more of those people who would say, um, an opportunity's come your way, and you really ought to consider it. And whenever they say that kind of thing, and you trust them and their opinion and who they are in the Lord, you know, then then you have to really take a look. It's, okay, God, are, are you speaking, uh, obviously through your spirit, are you speaking through these people, and those things are seeming to line up. And so then, you know, it's kind of a, yep, I'm going to take this step. And and it's really, um, even after you take the step, you, you want to maybe even question it, mm-hmm. you know, in your mind. But uh, I think that that's that those are the, the prompters. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the times of transition in our lives, you know, whatever brought about the circumstance, I think that their confirmations have always come through. Um, and, and I always have gone back to uh, Henry Blackaby experiencing God and just the way that God speaks to us. Um, it's through his word and through the church and through his spirit, through prayer. And all of those things have always lined up in each of those situations and circumstances. So it's been pretty evident it's not a lot of guesswork in that when all of that lines up. Now, we can go back and forth and debate and doubt, um, but a lot of times we know. Like, yeah. It sounds like you know the decision that you need to make. It, it, it It's in super encouraging to hear you guys say that because I, I know biblically, if we look back just in Scripture, there were divine interventions like the burning bush. There were, there were moments where um, it was really progressive over a period of time where there's just a sense, a growing sense that there's something new coming. And then the third way we see it happen, I mean, the the people in the church looked at Paul and said, hey, you're the one that needs to go. We and the Holy Spirit agree that you're the one that needs to go. So those things that you said, Andy, and what you just reinforced, Todd, are uh, all part of how God does that. And sometimes we only think we're called somewhere different if there's a burning bush, and that's not the only way it happens. So so once we ha- kind of understand and read the uh, the signs correctly, know that, okay, this time for me to transition possibly, and God's opening the door for that. And and let's say then something comes along and it presents itself. What, what, is, what are the right ways, what are the keys to transitioning right? Because, you know, we were talking about this earlier, Scott, and one of the things you said was, I really feel like there's not a place I've left that wouldn't hire me back today. And we want to leave that way. We want to leave in in such a good fashion that they would still desire that we be there. So what are the keys to transitioning with that kind of success, I guess? Yeah. See, as a state missionary in Georgia, I had this conversation over and over and over again with young leaders who were about to transition. And many of them were impulsive enough that they said, hey, when I go out, I'm going to set some things straight. 
And for me, that was always a huge red flag. It's like, you're going to set things straight. So let me, let me just speak to you from an older perspective. Um, how much do you think Jesus loves his bride, the church? Okay, how do you think Jesus is going to feel about you beating up the bride on your way out as you leave in transition? Um, this this is something that, you know, my wife had, you know, a very difficult um, home life growing up. And today she hugely values her parents, even though she could point at, you know, 15 or 20 things that were wrong, uh, that they could have done better just with a little bit of effort, a little more insight, a little more just love as a whole. Um, and, and though her parents were pretty amazing, every kid can find those errors in the parents, you know, whoever it is. Uh, I kind of had more of a beaver cleaver kind of family growing up, and, and I could list you my parents' uh, failures. But I am so grateful for what I learned from my parents, even though they had flaws, that uh, there's nothing I could do to ever repay what has happened in my life because of the influence of my parents. And Kim feels exactly the same way. So I think we need to take that posture, that understanding posture into our churches. If we expect that everything's going to be rosy all the time, any little inconvenience can make us turn into somebody that is, is going to leave behind wounds and scars in a church. And, and I, Andy, you got to remind them sometimes, Hey, when people see your resume, they're going to call these people and say, hey, tell me about so-and-so. And And if you leave staining the church, they're not going to give you a forward reference, even if you're a great youth pastor or education minister or worship pastor or pastor or whatever it is. So we have a responsibility to take care of the bride of Christ. And it it matters significantly how you leave because you could have served there eight years and done such a great job and stuff. And yet whenever you make that call or that call is made to that church, they may say, you know, he, he was great. He served here for eight years, but then he just burnt the place down on his way out. Well, you know what? That alone right there could keep you from ever moving anywhere again. That one thing, just because you may, because something that you didn't like, you had to bring up as you were going out the door when you just said, said, Lord, uh, I'm going to take out of this what I need to learn. There's a little truth in every criticism. I'll take that truth. The rest of it, I'm going to leave at your feet, and I'm going to go on to where you lead me. Yeah, well, and taking the risk that some people will misunderstand what I'm about to say, um, the job of every person who has a supervisor is to make their supervisor look good to the degree that they have the ability to do that. And so I, I really think it's important for us to understand that when the Bible teaches about submission and we're an employee and we have a boss, our job is to make them successful. And, um, and if, they, if you have been mistreated, there are counselors, there are other ministers around town that you can have confidential conversations with and process your own wounds and, and forgive people. Uh, a long time ago, I figured out that I was imperfect, and I know that was a shock to you guys that you know, that I'm willing to admit mm, that. Mm, but mm. A, as a result of that... That's not what he told us <laughs> when he started the sure week. sure wouldn't be here now. That's all right. <laughs> so, so I had to come to the conclusion that everybody I work with is also imperfect, and every church is imperfect. So it's real easy for me to forgive now looking at the things that people have been so generous to forgive me for. So I just think we have to somehow let the supernatural repository of grace inside of us being Jesus, uh, take over our impulsive want tos. Um, anytime I think that you adopt the attitude, how dare he do that? 
that's really more about something wrong in you than something wrong in somebody else because we've got to understand we're all sinners and there's a process for working through things. So, uh, Andy, you and I have talked about this too, and Todd, you and I have talked about this momentarily, but there's there's a real need for us to to keep short records and not to let things build up. So if we're there for eight years and we're still mad about something that happened the first six months we were there, that's a me issue. That's not a church issue. Mm, All right, that's good. That's a good word. Yeah, and I always encourage uh, guys and ladies that might be facing you know, uh, a transition is to remind them that these are issues really that just boil down to our walking in the Spirit and according to the Spirit in our lives. So why would you act any differently on your way out and and want to be self-seeking and self-righteous and judgmental and punish when that's not the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? And and the sign of a good ministry is when you leave, it gets better because you've developed all these people behind you and they carry on and and you want to see it do well. Hopefully you're establishing a platform for other people to build on. That's good. Um, so, uh, brings us to the end of segment one. So we'll kind of transition. That's a, that's funny. I like that. It? I like that. Into our next segment. And we're going to uh, take a little break here. So hang with us and we'll come back and we will, uh, tackle another topic in just a moment here on the Scopus Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Scopos Podcast. My name is Todd Sanders with the BGCO Student Education, and I'm in studio with Andy Harrison and Scott Kendig. Thank you, guys. Andy, um, you had a topic you wanted to uh, drop on the listening audience today and kind of pick Scott's brain about, and what was that topic? Yeah, and when this is just a, a segment of this particular podcast. We might even do a full podcast sometime on this, but Scott, I wanted to talk to you while you're here with us about it. Um, we're looking at uh, all the different events that we that we host or are part of, and and in particular, we were looking at Go students and all the people. We're we're putting two hundred plus students that are out on the mission field, both in Oklahoma and then the United States and around the world. And about eighty to eighty five percent of the people who are participating in that are young ladies, which we're so excited that the that the young ladies want to do this, and their hearts are so good. And it, it, but it seems that you have these pliable hearts in our young ladies right now, but it is difficult territory when you get into developing young men. And we have such a need for uh, to develop godly young men. What is going on that you think is causing this issue? Because it, as I, as I see that in what we're doing here, I've talked to other youth pastors and they say the same thing is reflective in their ministries. What is going on? Do you think that's causing that? And then what do we do to kind of, uh, you know, pull up on the on the stick get this plane flying high again all right so yeah my goodness uh we see that we see that everywhere um in georgia that was an issue when we would run into mission trips and uh in at, at grace in atlanta the family of churches we were part of we we saw a much more even balance and and there were i think there were multiple contributing factors to that but but prior to prior to getting into those details um Bono speaks about the people that he brings into his organization. And he said, if there's a man and if there's a woman that have the same qualifications, I always hire the woman because their hearts are more in the work and the cause that we're working for, not just the the function of what we're working for. And, and so I've thought about that a lot. And I think about the way that we 
engage in ministry and and most of the people we see like leading churches are men and most of the people that we see leading ministries are men and and women are much more willing to jump in and dive in for the sake of a cause and put their whole heart into it so uh what is it about about women that we need to learn from as guys and and so number one these these are just kind of some uh, sequential thoughts that i have is there are routinely in churches more more women uh, engaging mission in in sort of dangerous ways. Um, we we have a, a human trafficking ministry, and it is easy to involve women in that because it ministers to women, but it's also a little bit dangerous. So my job as a leader is to figure out how can we engage men around that so that there's a even if it's just a protective reality that men can step into places that. Uh, traditionally, they haven't thought about going. Um, the other thing, uh, the second number two, the, the thing that I see is as students are growing up, uh, for young men, there's sort of a, a, a macho attitude about, you know, I'm, I'm going to lift weights, I'm going to I'm going to run, I'm going to dominate, um, I, I'm going to play football, I'm going to do all these physically aggressive things. And, and I want to say, if you want to do something really physically aggressive, you, you need to get on the mission field and you need to go see. There are places where we need to dig trenches so that we can have uh, clean water for people in parts of the world that just don't have access to that. Um, but, but really, what has to happen is we need a, a generation to set a standard that people can look at and have more role models that's, that's, that are doing that. So I would call on the men of church to step up and to be vis- physically and visibly involved in a way that younger students can see that's what men do. There's just not as many role models. When we want to have churches that plant churches, well, there aren't a ton of churches that plant churches. So there aren't many role models. So there's not a lot of people you can go to and say, hey, I want to follow in your footsteps. So, so I think men need to do that. But I also think that in student ministries, it's super important for us to pick the kind of leaders that are leading our students in things like Sunday school and Bible studies and um, RAs and all, all the other divisions of ministry where they're setting an example and they're going to the mission field. Uh, it's, it's definitely one of the most concerning things. Um, if we're going to have a visceral impulse to advance the kingdom of God, we need not just all these godly young ladies. We need we need some defining young men to step into mm-hmm. that. And I know God's going to call some student pastors to develop that. I've got uh, three areas of challenge I want you to address because three things stuck out when you were speaking. One, it would be to church leadership. Um, two or three things from your experience and where you are at CBC right now um, that church leaders can do to, to maybe fuel that or ignite that, mm-hmm. initiate that in their congregations? Yeah. So for me, the way that happens and for what we're trying to develop there and what we've seen the last six or seven years at Grace is when I disciple men, and, and I don't mean just teach them content, but when I disciple young men, they actually have a key to my house. They have access to my life. They're welcome to come over anytime they want to. We tell them to call in advance if it's you know late or early and um and they're very respectful of all that. But I don't just invite them to come to a Bible study. I invite them into my life. And so when I go on a mission trip, I look at them and say, hey, I want you to come with me. Um, is there any way you can come with me? I'll help you raise the money. And and so if 
if we're doing that, the life on life reality is more effective than the appeal from the stage. You know, an appeal from the stage is is effective, but what we've even learned is hey, we need people who will do these three things. They're, you're going to be able to clean up trash. You're going to be able to, we need some dentists who can come and deal with some uh, oral care for people. And then we need people that are going to be able to build. And, and when you say, here are things that we need you to do, if it's not just a random call, we're going to go to Ecuador. Who wants to go to Ecuador? You know, we, we have to be able to specifically identify these are the kinds of people we need there because Young men specifically need to know, what is it that I can do if I go on this trip? And, and so I think everybody's that way, but specifically with young men. So it comes out of a life of discipleship and life on life. And sometimes they just want to go on a mission trip because they get to go with me if, I'm, if I've been discipling them. Um, the second thing would be uh, from a personal perspective, listening. If you're out there, you're a, uh, one of the listeners or uh, you— um, are in contact with other young adults or even students. Uh, what, what are personal encouragements for young men out there that you would say, um, ma'am, we have to be about these three things or, you know, yeah. that kind of thing? Yeah. Well, um, most men are pretty motivated in life about something. And the something is different from, from young man to young man. Um, and there are some people that God has called them or gifted them to be unique in an area like academics or um, a certain sport. Uh, but for people to be personally involved, they just need to know they can personally make a difference. And so if we can tap into what their giftedness in, again, that appeals to knowing who they are. And you could use your giftedness in this capacity on this mission trip, and I really think you could go. And if you if you don't want to talk to your parents, I'll talk to your parents and say, hey, I'll personally help them on this trip. And the second thing, though, that's personal, I think if we make missions an experience of walk or, or crawl, walk, run, if we involve them in small things today, they're more likely to take the next step to something more significant tomorrow. And eventually they may be going to you know some really dangerous places in the world on, for mission. That's great. Um, third thing, our young ladies who thank the Lord for the young ladies and the women in our churches over the years and throughout the history of the church mm-hmm. um, that have uh, taken up the cause and carried the mantle at times in the absence of godly male leadership. Uh, encouragement to them uh, in, in helping our, our young men get there, assisting and in, in encouraging them in that, and also encouraging them in their service. What would you say to our ladies? Yeah, to, to the ladies, I want to say keep setting the standard high. And, uh, and, and when you have an opportunity, one of the things that I've noticed, and, and Annie and Todd, you might have noticed this too, but when amazingly godly young ladies go lead somewhere, guys are usually interested in those young ladies. And um, I would love for young ladies to be able to say, uh, I'm watching more young men that to me have the same values that I have about extending the gospel and advancing the kingdom in places not that are just in our own backyard, but are around the world. So so ladies, keep keep pushing the charge forward and men step up and realize, okay, so, so Todd, you would know this about us, but because of mission trips in the last year, I've done six weddings. So I'm not I'm not recommending that mission trips are a meat market, <laughs> uh, but I am recommending that if you want to see somebody 
who you can trust to have a heart for a family that's going to be missional their whole life. That's a great place on mission trips for that to take place. So uh, I, I want men to do it because it pleases Jesus. But God does some amazing things in your life while you're on mission. And and those types of things, you see people who have the same heart that you have. So men, step up. Step up. I, I would I would add one last thing in regard to what you're asking as, as far as an encouragement to young ladies. Um, because I could not be more happy, excited, uh, pleased. I mean, when I see all of the young ladies who are walking so well with the Lord and giving their lives to ministry of service. And listen, if a young man, not one other young man ever uh, decides to walk with Jesus— you keep doing it Amen. because you are doing the right thing. And so you may affect your family. You may affect your children. You may affect those in the future around you. And, uh, and of course, uh, you're doing it for your love of the Lord. And so keep on keeping on. Amen. That's good. That's good. Uh, challenging thoughts there. And I think some great practical advice, also some very good encouragement for those listening and those working with students as you're bringing them up to encourage them in this way. And um, to, to maybe maybe talk about that with your, your teams or your leadership, like what are the trends you see in your church with godly, not just godly ladies, godly women who are leading, but also how are we doing with developing godly young men and men in our church? So great, great topic to discuss. So we're going to take a little break here, come back in our third session, our third segment here, um, uh, and relate it to what we just talked about with developing godly leaders, uh, talk about disciple making, the ultimate goal that we have as believers in the church. So we'll be right back here on the Scopus Podcast. Hang with us. And we're back ready for uh, part three and the final part of our podcast today. And you know, uh, typically when we say, hey, we're going to take a break, we really will like pause three seconds and then just go on recording the next section of this thing. But actually during this break, Todd Sanders received uh from uh manna from heaven that's really. right he received from uh the it davis is, what is it drugstore down there right city drug city drug mm. a cherry phosphate and pimento cheese sandwich todd yeah. what in the world are we witnessing right here oh this is the best pimento cheese sandwich i think in existence hometown pimento cheese sandwich from city drug it's we, the stuff of of dreams I mean, we just took a break, and there's a knock on the door, and there, you know, someone's delivering and cherry phosphate, cherry phosphate, and pimento cheese sandwich. You guys go ahead. I'll, Is phosphate healthy? My sandwich. It's not a diet drink. No. Okay. Okay. Well, it's just sugar. So let's let's talk then uh, disciple making, because obviously um, that's the commission that Christ gave us as He left that we would make disciples um, of all people. So Scott, talk to us. What what are the key components here? And building disciples because, you know, there, and especially in youth ministry, I think we've uh, opted out a lot of times for just spending time with people. So, like, hey, we're going, we're hanging out, we're just kind of hanging out. And, there, and the, so we've spent time together today. Mm-hmm. And then we say, okay, we disciple them. Yeah. Well, we might have discipled them in something. Yeah. But if we don't, there needs to be at least, like, every time I go with a guy, even if I pick a guy up and go, we run to Lowe's together and get some stuff. There ought to be some level of conversation where we're pushing this back to who we are in Christ. What are the key components in disciple making? Yeah, I, I love that question. Um, so for me, it gets back to watching Jesus' example through the Gospels. A lot of times when we read the Gospels, we're reading it for content type stuff, but we kind of miss looking for the habits that Jesus had with the people that he was leading. 
And once we begin to identify the habits that Jesus had with his 12 specifically, um, and, and he had a group of three and a group of 12 and a group of 72, and he had larger groups than that. But the 12 were the people he poured, you know, all the kingdom resource he po- possibly could into them over the course of three years. And and the way that he did it can be broken down into, uh, I guess, a hundred different forms. But the, the way that he did it that we see, that we uh, look at, relates to kingdom and covenant in the in the Old Testament. And so uh, we call it invitation. That's inviting you into more relationship with somebody who's running ahead of you. And, and you know, hey, this is somebody that should be pouring into me. And so there's an invitation. Jesus with his 12 looked at them and said, hey, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That was invitation. But once he had a relationship with them, he started challenging them. And so he had to know who they were, which is the hangout part that you talked about. But he also had to know how to help them get to where they weren't. So he would, he would challenge them. And some examples of that, just some really simple ones, are in his first commission. He, he said, hey, come follow me. That's an invitation. And right behind it, he came with challenge, and I'll make you fishers of men. Well, we know what it means to be fishers of fish, but what in the world does it mean to be fishers of men? I can't even wrap my head around that. Jesus, what in the world are you talking about? And he makes his disciples dependent on him to answer those questions. If you look at sort of the end of Jesus' ministry, um, he asked the question of, of Peter, hey, who do people say that I am? And he gave the answers back that the crowd was giving. And then he said, hey, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter came back with an amazing response that's built the whole church. Um, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Um, and Jesus said, hey, now watch this invitation. This is probably the most significant invitation we see in the New Testament. Peter, what you've said, um, I'm going to build my church on. I'm going to build my church on what you said. That's a huge, like, Peter, my father in heaven revealed this to you because I know this didn't come from you. <laughs> you know? So I, I hung out with you. That's not a, you're one of your thoughts. So you're following my father, and he's giving you the right information. I'm so proud of you. Eight verses later, he's looking at Peter and saying, get behind me, Satan. Though that's a pretty serious challenge. So the longer you walk with Jesus, the, more, the deeper the relationship gets and the deeper the challenge gets. And so that's what you're talking about is hanging out is not disciple-making, but disciple-making is hanging out with a purpose of helping somebody grow deeper in their relationship with Jesus and growing deeper in their ability to challenge others. Because we don't want to keep a disciple forever. We want to be able to hand them off, and they'll follow our example the way the 12 follow Jesus' example. Yeah, I don't see disciple-making as like how that makes me feel. Because I can hang out with somebody, and then I feel good about myself that we hang out together, and that person likes me. That's of absolutely really little value in their life. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. so little value. What, what I want to know, I, I want to sp- spend time with them, and though I may enjoy the time with them, I want to know that they walk away with something that's going to help them when I'm no longer there. Absolutely. And, and if you look at the continuum of disciple-making, there's to me there's two extremes. Sometimes we try to clone ourselves, and what I figured out is— with the Holy Spirit's help, I can be a pretty good Scott Kendig, but I'm never going to be a good Andy Harrison. And so I don't need to make another Scott Kendig. I need to cooperate with God's design for somebody that we see and and help them get on on their road moving forward. So cloning is one mistake in disciple-making, but the other mistake in disciple-making is codependency. Like, wow, it really makes me feel good when I see people that I'm spending time with that are making a difference for the kingdom. Well, 
that's not my fruit. I, I mean, that's their fruit. So I, I need to I need to be developing my own fruit, which in some cases is making more disciples. But what they do doesn't get credited to my account mm-hmm. <laughs> in that sense. And so if I'm codependent, like I feel better because I'm associated with people who are taking it somewhere. And so we have to kind of balance that in the middle. And, and we have to realize there are going to be times where if I'm truly disciple making, the people I'm leading are going to be mad at me because I was truthful with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's so, so codependency and cloning fights against the purpose that Jesus has for disciple making. So um, let's talk about practical handles here, um, because we, we need to be grounded in the why. And then, and then I think we look at, I think a lot of people, one, haven't been discipled formally, so they have no grounds for understanding how that needs to look. Um, and then two, they don't have a plan uh, that they're, that they're holding to or whatever. So at CBC with you and your pastor, uh, what's his, what's your pastor's name? Uh, let me see. Is it Fred Singletary? No, Ed Newton. Oh, Ed Ed Newton. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So I need to, yeah. Okay. So you and Ed down there at OCBC, how are you guys, um, as a church doing that practically getting people in that and then fostering that disciple making relationship and then turning them loose? Cause that's completing the loop, right? Yeah, that's right. So, um, we we are in the first phases. Uh, we're almost two years into really investing heavily in our key leaders. Um, and as we do that, we get together with six to eight people. Uh, lots of times it's men on men, but sometimes it's couples. But normally discipleship happens more effectively for us when it's men discipling men and women discipling women. Um and but sometimes it can be couples. But what we're doing now is we will spend about six months intentionally walking through um, a process that helps us develop a common language about mission and a common language about discipleship, so that when we're talking about things, we have the same definitions. And uh, we use some we use some tools. Uh, we we don't really think our job is to. Um, is to create content. God's already created all that content, so it's all available to us in the Bible. Wherever we go in the Bible, we can disciple people from there. Uh, but we we have these tools that seem to be re- repeated redundancies all over. You know, people that made a difference in in the kingdom. They're called life shapes, and and so now that people they they learn through the seeing gate and they learn through the hearing gate, we just combine both of those so that we can create reproducible, sustainable. Um, passing on a ministry. If I listen to a sermon, I remember about 7% of it. And so it's hard for me to pass all that on. So when we use um, life shapes, it helps people have a picture that shows them a process and then they walk through that process and and they can repeat it. They can give it to somebody else. And so um, we've seen this happen in another church where we started that there's there've been literally you know, hundreds of people discipled over time. And six months isn't long enough to truly disciple somebody, but they don't know it's really a two-year relationship that we hang on to them and spend time with them and develop them as they develop others. So we'll take six to eight, and then at the end of six or nine months, they'll take six to eight, and we'll take on a new six to eight, and it becomes a multiplying reality. If This is a hard thing to say, but if I make disciples and they don't make disciples, I probably didn't make disciples. They, the way that I do it, hopefully, they will want to replicate. Now, it doesn't, it's not 100%. Um, it's probably not 75%. But if, 
if that doesn't happen, if they don't, if they don't continue the process. So we start from the very first session saying, you'll be leading this. And actually, even when we invite them into that relationship, we say, hey, I, I want to lead people who are going to lead other people. So is that where you are in, your, in this stage of your development? And if they say yes, then we enter into that. So we immediately begin saying, who can you begin to think about sharing this with in your life? Who, where, where are the people in your life that you can share this with? So we start the relationship with where are you going to take it? And, um, and then we build it throughout. And the last, the last little month, we're really working with them to develop their team. And then, Todd, what we do is once, once or twice a month, we get together just for a meal and say, how's it going as you're leading other people? And, um, and our primary tool when we walk in is, what is God teaching you? So everybody has to come in to our huddle ready to say, this is what God's teaching me right now. And even with six to eight men sharing that, you almost are discipled by the time they get done sharing. This is what God's teaching me. And we all borrow from each other. So does that make sense? Uh, I was Sorry, I wasn't listening. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow. I'll have to go back and listen Blair. to the episode. Yeah. No, it makes great sense. Yeah. I mean, I think there's great um, content in there and very practical handles to give a leader that's in a church, no matter what their si- size, this opportunity to take people right where they are and to begin begin in a process. Um, And then I love the fact that you guys start by saying, this is what's intended. This is what's expected. This is where we go Um, is we are operating under the full disclosure that the goal is that you would do this disciple making process. And so you guys have written into from the very beginning this loop. And so it's not open-ended it's closed loop. And so, you know, immediately when I'm in the pipeline, that I am progressing through. And uh, we have a resource that we've uh, developed and, and we're, we've just uh, put out for general consumption this summer, just called Disciple Me, and it, and it has a lot of those same elements in it for students yeah. in a student ministry, just to give them a little more content piece mm-hmm. for leaders to use with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe they can g- get to the point where they're standing on their own feet um, and be able to take that process from any place in Scripture and do the same yeah. things with it. So yeah, well, you know, um, Todd, you talked about this. It's like, how do you continue like encouraging the process once it gets going? Right. Uh, what's the domino effect? And and so for us, um, as we as we start this process, uh, it's a six month with a few people, and then they take on some other people, but. Every six months, what we do is we pull everybody who's been involved in that process into the same room and say, okay, now we have, the first time we did this in, in Atlanta, we gathered about 230 people after two years of investing in, you know, six, you know, six to eight people with multiple generations. That's four generations. About 256 people were involved. And and so we're in this room, and it helps us recalibrate where they are. There's two principles behind this that are fail-safes for us. The first one is we think it's pretty hard to mess up a group that has six to eight people in it. Right. That's pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and if you're touching base with them every now and then, you can help them with the things they're having difficulties mm-hmm. with. But the second one is we think if we ask them for a six-month mission for their group, then it's pretty hard to mess up a six-month minute. You can't get too far off the rails in six months. Right. So we bring everybody together. The, the last one of these we did in Atlanta, it, it depends. So this was after about four years of, of discipling people. We had 1,300 leaders 
with the same language in the room. And so when we started to process through, what does God want to do with 1,300 discipled leaders in our city, in our place? And people would say, we need to go to the football team because my kid's on the football team. And hey, your kids are on the football team too. Let's, let's adopt the football team at the high school as our mission. And other people would say, I want to get involved in human trafficking. Other people would say, I want to get involved in poverty ministry. I want, I want the mission trip that we're taking to uh, Kosovo to be my, my place. And so what happened is mission becomes a lifestyle birthed out of discipleship. Because again, the first thing I said was, hey, if I make disciples and they don't make disciples, I didn't really make disciples. The other thing is, if I make disciples and they don't go to mission, I probably didn't make disciples. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. No, I love that perspective. And I also think uh, that it drives home this idea of strategic thinking and really strategic living as a a believer and as the church. Because what we do is so often we focus on the tactic, uh, just the task. And so it's like, we got to go on this mission trip and we got to do this thing and we've got to have this program and we got to do this attend thing. Uh, And those are all good, but what they do is they miss the real impact and the intention of the church. And that's that long-term, multiple, multi-factor outlook on important things of growing healthy disciples that will then reach um, new believers and grow them as healthy disciples. And so that process can continue. And without understanding the importance of making disciples and then handing over that ministry to the church, then we've we've stripped Mm -hmm. the, the whole process of its power and, and, and what God's intention was. And I think that that leaves us just at a place where we, you know, we, we are so addicted to ease mm-hmm. in, in our churches sometimes and in our leadership that we want things to happen fast yeah. and we want to see that result, but we're not willing to do this ongoing work that we have to do. Yeah, you're so. right. And if there's one encouragement I could have that's practical on the back end is disciple making is a slow walk in the same direction. It, it doesn't happen overnight. You can't microwave it. Um, and so quite often we want quicker results, so we'll change our tactics to try to get more, more people into a pipeline. And, and really, we need to do that right. We, we need to take our time, we need to do it well, and we need to do it right. So if, if you spend six months with somebody at the end, end of six months, you got six mm-hmm. people to yeah. show for it. You don't, some, some, some people aren't motivated by that. Yeah. But when you multiply that out several generations, then you have hundreds and hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. I think by the time we left Atlanta, we had 2,300 people across seven campuses that had all been discipled um, in in one process, through one process of mm-hmm. uh, discipling people six months at a time, staying with them while they learn to disciple others, and mm-hmm. then coming together every six months to say, what does God want to do with us? Yeah, yeah and you do the math on that, and it quickly is just an explosion. Exponential, yeah. It's great. So, Scott, thanks so much for your time. We've covered a lot of ground. Here, yes. Andy, do you have anything else to add? No, it sounds great. I really appreciate Scott being with us today. Yeah, thanks for carving time out of your schedule. It's so good to be with you. Thanks for tuning in to the Scopos Podcast, where we help you hit the mark in life and ministry. Have a great time, and we'll see you on the next episode. Next time on Scopos. Um, and certainly, I mean, do you give an opportunity to for people to respond to the gospel? And that's one way that you can model evangelism is is let your students see you give the gospel every single week. Scopos and the Scopos Podcast are ministries of the BGCO and made available through the generous gifts of Oklahoma Baptists to the cooperative program. Find out more about Oklahoma Youth Ministry at scopos.org.